Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Marie. It's Indiana Preview Day, week nine of the Ohio State schedule. We've been doing this uh, for like, uh, I don't know, what, two months now. Working our way through what the Ohio State 2020 schedule is right now. If you had to ask me, I bet you it changes at least a little bit. But for now, it starts September 5th against Bowling Green, then Oregon, Buffalo, Rutgers, bye week. Iowa, Michigan State, Penn State, Nebraska, and then Saturday, November 7th, home versus Indiana. And our guest on Buckeye Talk today, Zach Osterman, who has covered the Indiana Hoosiers for the Indianapolis Star for seven seasons, more than a decade total covering the Hoosiers, uh, used to work with Nathan Baird. How about that? Back when Nathan Baird was a indie, indie star writer covering Purdue, doing that thing. So Zach's our guest. We appreciate him joining us. This is a big, hearty Indiana conversation Michael Penix, the quarterback, Tom Allen, the coach. At the end, we get into Kevin Wilson, um, maybe what Zach thinks of his future. Zach was writing a lot of stories when Kevin Wilson um, was pushed out as Indiana's coach uh, in 2016. So good, hearty Indiana conversation. Again, if you care about the Buckeyes, you should know who they're playing. And this is opponent number nine, which means still on the docket. Illinois. No, sorry. Maryland, Illinois. Michigan. And we're already making plans for that Michigan podcast. So thanks to you guys for listening. Friday podcast will be about Michigan. When will Ohio State take the all-time series lead against the Wolverines? We're asking texters about that. Steve and Nathan and I will talk about that. We've been recording a bunch of position group podcasts to start dropping in for you guys. But for now, continuing this, continuing, continuing, continuing the schedule preview with Zach Osterman, get ready for that. Try our text, 614-350-3315. I bet some of you, even though if you're if you're not tech subscribers, I bet you have that number memorized by now. You say, here it comes, 614-350-3315. I get it. We'll take, a, we'll take a 14-day free trial if you want to give us a shot. We'll take a review at Apple Podcasts. Some good ones coming in on a five-star roll. We appreciate everybody who drops those kind reviews in there. And if you have complaints, we appreciate those too. Read us at cleveland.com slash OSU, but for now, Zach Osterman from the Indy Star talking with me about the Buckeyes and the Hoosiers the week 
not week nine because it's week 10 because there's a bye week, but the ninth opponent of the year for Ohio State. Let's get ready for Zach on Buckeye Talk. Tom Allen. Is he pretty good? What's the deal with Indiana's coach? Five and seven, five and seven, eight and five in his first three years. Bowl appearance last season in the Gator Bowl. Peaked into the top 25 at one point during the season. Um, I want to ask a little bit about Kevin Wilson with you before we get out of here. But Tom Allen taking over that job. Um, did he <clears throat> is he the right guy for this program? What it long term is? Does this feel like? an answer for Indiana football with the coach they have. You know, I, I mean, I, I think it does. And I, I think you're never quite sure what long, long-term looks like at a place like Indiana, because obviously if your coach has enough success, they're likely to leave. Um, and, and there's not, you know, I mean, there weren't any terribly serious sort of rumors about Tom Allen leaving last off season. I know he was sort of, very sort of briefly linked to a couple of openings. Um, but it never seemed like there was any serious smoke around, you know, him being a candidate elsewhere, but the, you know, you, you have enough eight win, even nine win seasons in Indiana, bigger programs are probably going to come calling. Um, I, I do think that his approach works here on a number of levels. Um, I think, I think kind of his relentless energy is important for a fan base that is obviously more than a little bit jaded. And, and sometimes we'll even, you know, maybe observe that energy with a bit of skepticism, but in general, we'll probably be boosted by it because without, I say, I think I use the phrase without wanting to be flippant, more talking about IU football than basically everything else in my life combined. Um, but without wanting to be flippant, you know, a lot of IU fans just don't have that energy because they've spent so many years sort of being disappointed, being let down. Um, I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think he, he clearly, you know, he, he can, he kind of throws out some catchphrases and things like that and things that I think sometimes fans and, and even media, and I'll admit I've probably done it sort of roll your eyes at, but it clearly, I mean, you talk to parents, to players, to high school coaches, um, it clearly resonates with them. And at the end of the day, what I say every time anyone asks is that sort of stuff's not meant for you and me. And the minute it seems like it's meant for you and me is the minute it feels like a coach is losing control of, you know, sort of his, his, his or her focus, if you want to say his or her message. Um, and you can see that in the way he's recruited. Um, it's not like Indiana is suddenly rolling in four and five star talent, but the aggregate level of talent has improved year on year over the last what, four or so recruiting cycles now. Um, and I think that's borne out in, you know, the fact that last year's team in particular is a very young team, you know, largely redshirt freshmen, sophomores, redshirt sophomores, juniors. And it winds up putting together the best season Indiana's had in 25 years. Um, and then there's probably even if you want to get sort of schematic about it, I think there's something to the idea that having a defense-minded coach matters at a place like this because um, somebody told me a long time ago, they said that they said that a rule of thumb for them was that offense is about scheme and defense is about talent because at the end of the day, no matter how prepared they think they are, defensive players never 100% sure what's supposed to happen at the snap of the ball. 
And so it's all about reacting kind of in the moment. And a place like this is always going to be fighting that talent gap. You know, that's just, that's just reality. Indiana is never going to have the talent um, of an Ohio state or a Michigan or a Penn state, all of whom of course are on Indiana's schedule every year. So you need to be able to, to flatten that curve in other ways. And um, of course it's important to have a good offensive mind. And I think you see one of the biggest differences between five and seven in his first two seasons and eight and five last year is Kalen DeBoer for Tom Allen. But I also think of so many Indiana teams that I've seen in the past that had really good offenses, really good quarterback, couple really good receivers, even the, the Kevin Wilson offenses that set some records. But even if they made a ball, never really realized their full potential because they just could not consistently perform on defense. And I think that having a defense-minded coach sort of setting the terms around the program is is also very valuable maybe in kind of an underrated way at a job like this, because I think jobs like this, and certainly this has been true of Indiana in the past, have often chased coaches that were big, big time offensive guys that were all about, you know, scheme and and yards and points. And, you know, you think back to Cam Cameron and everything Antoine Randall did, but Antoine Randall, Antoine Randall never went to a bowl game. Um, You know, Indiana, like I said, under Kevin Wilson, set offensive records and yet, you know, never finished uh, a season above 500. So I just think that there's probably something to maybe that, that I could quantify better if I was, you know, more of a had a better football mind than I do. But I think there's also something too to the idea that a defense minded coach works at a place like this, maybe more than people tend to appreciate. Uh, I always. I've told this story. I I like this story because you brought up Cam Cameron. I was going to bring up Cam Cameron. I I worked at an Indiana paper out of college um, in Northwest Indiana. uh, And we did a big 10 preview at the start of the 1997 season. I was just, I was a young dumb kid trying to cover the big 10 and we wanted to do sort of a cover for our preview section of the newspaper with both Joe Chiller and Cam Cameron, because it was, they were both first year coaches at the two state schools in Indiana. They both uh, were offensive minds and we wanted to sort of have it be that we shot a photo where it looked like one of them was sort of like throwing a football to the other somehow that like, you know, we shoot it separately, but put it together and make it look cool. And Joe Tiller was like, yeah, cool. That's whatever. I'll do that. And Cam Cameron was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like I'm not, I'm not doing a thing (laughs) with Joe Tiller. And then Joe Tiller like became like Joe Tiller and Joe Tiller was in the top 25 of the AP poll, like his whole career at Purdue and won consistently and like re-resurrected the Purdue football program. And Cam Cameron was, you know, a four and eight guy who lasted whatever, four or five years and was gone. And it was like, he thought he was cool. Mr. Offense guy. And I know he's gone on to the NFL and was a lousy NFL head coach or whatever, but it was just like, man, you can't be too cool. At a, like a place like Indiana, no offense to Indiana, but like you can't be too cool for it. You know what I mean? And like, I don't think Joe Tiller wasn't too cool for Purdue. He just came in and like did his thing and was, you know, hey, let's do this. And like if Tom Allen has that idea that like I'm a football coach, I'm excited, let's do this. I'm not claiming to be some offensive guru. I think you make a lot of very interesting points about, you know, you look at a guy like Bill Mallory, 13 years at Indiana. Um, and just just won, just found a way to win at Indiana through the 90s. I don't know. Like, is that 
to me, from as an outside perspective, it's like, could Tom Allen be that? That Tom Allen, you know, doesn't have to be a guy that, you know, is 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 out the door at the first opportunity? Yeah. No, I mean, mix around. I think. I mean, I, I certainly think so. I think you have to. I think you have to understand this this place, um, and that goes a little bit beyond, you know, just understanding that it's a basketball school. And um, I don't know if Kevin listens to your podcast. I'm not even sure, you know, given all of our time together down the years, if I'm Kevin's favorite person or not, but I think I can probably tell the story because um, it's been so many years. Kevin's first year at Indiana, there is a, uh, for those who may not be familiar, you may be, you may not be. Uh, there's a bike race at Indiana every spring called the Little 500. I saw the movie. It's been going. I I rode in it in college. I rode in it for four years. Um, And it's been this. This is the first year since its inception in 1951 that it was not run for obvious reasons. Um, It regularly turns out, you know, eight to ten thousand fans for the women's race on Friday afternoon, twenty thousand fans for the men's race on Saturday. There's a week of partying that leads up to it. It's it's very Indiana specific and insular, but it's a big deal around here. And uh, I had a, a I knew a, a kid who was in a, a business school sort of like learning lab thing where basically the, it was like a marketing class and they were um, contracted to the athletics department to help sort of come up with ways to market Kevin Wilson's first spring game. And it was the day of the men's little 500, the same Saturday, basically the same time. I think it was at like noon and the race is at like two. And it, it, it baffled Kevin that there would be a bike race that would be more important than the spring football game. Um, and on the one hand, you can understand that for anyone who doesn't know Indiana very well, you would think, well, what, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean there's a bike race on campus that draws 20,000 people? Like, what are you talking about? On the other, that's kind of what I'm getting at this idea that you sort of have to understand this place. And like by his fourth or fifth season, Kevin was scheduling the spring game to be a part of little five weekend. And he was, you know, like football hosted a concert on the field after the game on the Friday night. And Kevin was at the race all the time on the Saturday. And Tom has carried a fair bit of that on. Um, and I think that it, it, it does kind of get back into this idea of understanding, you know, not understanding this place and not looking at it as, Oh, this is what I'm up against, but rather looking at it as well. Then this is where, then I need to find where I can weave sort of my program into the fabric of, of all that and not just be something that people do either a, when we're winning or B when there's, there's nothing else going on. And yet at the same time, I'd also say that I think Tom has, has in his own way, he's found a way to kind of, blend that with his own willingness to not apologize for his program. And and that's a strange thing to say. And I I don't know that there are like, I don't think Kevin ever apologized for his program. I don't think Bill Lynch ever did, but I think Thomas found a way to make it more sort of forceful and productive. So like he was at a, um, in his second season, Indiana lost at Michigan, but played a very tough physical game. There were some borderline plays both ways, a couple late hits to the quarterback, you know, some, extracurriculars at the bottom of the pile that got caught on camera, that sort of thing. And Michigan kind of complained about it afterward, um, which is, is amusing in its own way that Michigan football is complaining about Indiana football being too physical. But 
he, you know, Alan uh, was at a, a big booster event that's held annually in Southern Indiana the next summer. So this would have been last summer. And he basically just said, like, you know, we're never going to play dirty, but I'm never going to apologize for my team playing physical. We're going to play our butts off against everyone. And that's what you should come to expect because that's what we're going to do. And if we don't do it, we're not succeeding. And it's, I'm using these very sort of specific anecdotes, but it comes back to this bigger idea of, can you, can you find a way not to make IU football this thing that sort of set apart that, that people only see as a novelty or interesting when they're successful? Um, or as I said, when maybe there's nothing else to do, but rather weave football kind of into the wider fabric of the campus in a way that nobody has since Bill Mallory. And I think that Tom has probably done that better than anyone else thus far. And of course, that's, that's always an ongoing thing. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, football programs are like sharks. They have to keep swimming forward or they die. But, um, it, he has had, I mean, listen, even, even his five and seven seasons, like those were the best, those were the best start to an Indiana coaching tenure since before World War II. So even that was success in its own way not least leading up to last year when, of course, they go to the Gator Bowl. They win eight, eight games for the first time in 25 years, and now they come into a season where suddenly they have, frankly, some some decently high expectations. All right, so let's get on the field. I had not realized that. That I mean, obviously, I knew eight and five was good for Indiana. I didn't realize that they hadn't won that many games uh, in 25 years. Very interesting. Could they be better? Could they be better this – are they better this season than even that eight-win team, or are there significant areas in which you will expect that, that they will take a step back? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think they can be better. I, I, I genuinely do think that. And it's, it's, it's weird because this has kind of been maybe one of the most persistent themes of the offseason. Um, and so – when I'm asked about it or when I write about it, one of the things I've said most often is like, I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in, in a college football culture. I grew up in Georgia and like, I, I, I will even to this day acknowledge that there's certain nuance to basketball that will escape me. Um, particularly in real time, maybe as I watch games back, I see things differently, but you know, I, I, I have, more of an innate understanding. I'm not some genius with either, but I have more of an innate understanding of college football than I do of college basketball, just because of where I was raised and how I was raised and that sort of thing. Um, and so there's this kind of conflicting, you know, on the one hand you say, well, it's Indiana football. They always seem to find a way to disappoint their fans, but they didn't really last year. And the roster has, I think, the most returning production, maybe second behind Northwestern in the Big Ten percentage-wise uh, from last season to this season. I know the defense is number one in the conference um, in terms of percentage of production returning. Um, the offensive number took a hit with Peyton Ramsey leaving, but, of course, you have Michael Penix ready to step back in as quarterback, as QB1 um, this season, provided he can stay healthy. You've only got – a handful of offensive positions, you know, where, where kind of the, your, your two deep is in question in terms of who's your starter, who's your backup, your defenses. I mean, I could sit here and draw you a defensive depth chart from memory without even looking at the roster right now. And it's virtually all guys that played significant downs last year. That's how much they return. So on the one hand, you have kind of this, this fatalism that 
fans certainly feel and, and probably gets rubbed off onto the media because Lord knows I've covered my share of games. Indiana was leading in the fourth quarter and lost. Um, but on the other hand, you have this team that won eight games last year. And for all the world, if it has any luck with injuries, should be better this year. Now, of course, the question you ask yourself is in the Big Ten East with a road game at Wisconsin to open your season as a, as a uh, divisional crossover, can you be better and still only go eight and four? Sure. You know, of course you can. Um, but this should be a better team. It should be a better defense. Um, you know, again, there's more questions around the offense. DeBoer, Kalen DeBoer is gone. Nick Sheridan, who was, you know, kind of his understudy in some ways last season, is now the OC. Michael Penix was very, very good when he was healthy last year, but you do have to ask the question of whether he can stay healthy over an entire season. And yet, in general, in the sort of broad view, this is a team that should be better. Um, and so it, it almost sort of feels like you've got you've got reality competing with the never-ending narrative around IU football that it will find a way to, to falter somehow. You look at the schedule, and as you said, it's the opener at Wisconsin that the Big Ten is doing that now with having a, a conference opener somewhere on the schedule for two teams. Uh, Indiana-Wisconsin to open the season, they could lose to Wisconsin and, and win their next six. Western Kentucky, Ball State, UConn, Maryland, Rutgers, and then home versus Michigan State, right? Michigan State with the first-year coach. It's not inconceivable that Indiana – I mean, it's, it's you know, best-case scenario – but the idea of a six and one Indiana team then hitting a stretch where they are home versus Penn State and at Ohio State in on consecutive weekends, people if that happens, people would be like super excited about Indiana football. There would be a lot of momentum. Um, and you said, Zach, you've covered, you know, te- teams that have have lost leads in the fourth quarter. Do you believe there is something to sort of like dealing with success and and learning how to win and that kind of thing. Do you think Indiana made strides with that last year? Because I feel like in my time covering the Big Ten, I have seen programs where I think Northwestern's been a program like this. I think Iowa's been a program like this. I think Wisconsin in its own way has been a program like this, where when there are no expectations, they might sneak up on you and have a really good season. And then all of a sudden, as soon as anybody says, you know what, those guys are actually pretty good then it's like, oh, my God, people think we might win some games and things fall apart because they're not used to dealing with success and having expectations. How Do, do you believe in that kind of thing? And, and how do you think Tom Allen and this program would handle that when here we are talking about they just had the best season in 25 years and they might be better? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's there's definitely a part of this that's also fan-driven. For all that I talk about the fatalism, I mean, it, um, you know, it's uh, – uh, I can remember after IU went to the College World Series in 2013 and returned a, a large portion of its of its lineup and its pitching rotation the next season, talking to IU's then baseball coach, and, and he said he had fans coming up and saying, I can't wait to go back to Omaha next year. And he was like, whoa, whoa, like, uh, I know last year was unexpected and exciting, but I need everybody to understand how difficult and rare that is. We're not just, you know, we're not just, we're not a write-in for that next year. Um, there's probably some of that going on with IU football too. Um, and I think that, I mean, thinking back to Kevin Wilson's tenure, you know, Kevin talked endlessly about how this place struggled at times to, um, to, to, to know how to manage success that, that it was so rare and people got so excited when it came 
even in a, in a, you know, I mean, like when they, they beat a then ranked Michigan state team uh, in a night game in overtime in 2016, it's sort of like, yeah, okay, but guess what? That Michigan State team finished the season three and nine and had all sorts of internal problems, and, and Indiana still only went six and six. I think that the counter to that, and again, it, it is kind of these competing narratives still, but the flip side to that is if you, if you, if you do kind of take a five year snapshot of Indiana, they went six and seven, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, eight and five. That is the far and away the most successful stretch Indiana's had since Bill Mallory's tenure. Like it's not, it's not close. And of course that says something about the, the broader state of IU football in the last, you know, two decades, but nevertheless, um, you can kind of, particularly if Indiana goes to a bowl again this year, even if, let's say even Indiana just goes seven and five and goes to the music city bowl, which in some ways I think Indiana fans would consider a dreamland because it could be a day trip and they've wanted to go to Nashville for years. Um, you know, even if that's the case, then suddenly you can kind of paint this picture of, well, that's four bowls in six years. If Indiana was to beat Purdue in doing that, that's, I think, six wins against Purdue in eight years. Um, that's, you know, suddenly you can you can tell suddenly it gets to be a little bit more like Northwestern kind of, you know, early Pat Fitzgerald, where it's like, OK, this program still is not kind of over the hump the way that it needs to be. but it's not, it's clearly not the old Indiana either. Um, and so I think that the dealing with expectations is absolutely going to be, you know, a, a, a big issue. And, you know, not that anybody's looking for, for silver linings and all this, but, you know, maybe to some extent this all helps because nobody is really talking about expectations very much for anyone right now, because we're all just trying to figure out if there can be a season and maybe there won't be a season. I, you know, I, obviously I, I, I would imagine that is is still very much a possibility, but I think that that learning how to manage success is always going to be, you know, a, a challenge for a place like this. Um, I think you can make a bit of an argument that they've they're already kind of doing that. You know, when you, I mean, for years, all we would say about Indiana football is, well, if they could just have made literally the one or two or three plays that would have turned these one or two or three games, they would have gone to a, um, you know, they would have gone to a bowl or they would have gone seven and five or they would have gone eight and four or whatever. Well, that, that's basically what they did last year was they just, they found a way to win nearly all of the 50, 50 type games that we've kind of been saying, well, Indiana always finds a way to lose those games. And still there are fans who you mentioned that schedule who already have Indiana in their minds penciled in at six and one hosting Penn state on Halloween night in the biggest regular season home game Indiana's played in God knows how long. And you sort of want to look at them and say, Hey, slow down. Like there's, there's a long way to go between now and then, but nevertheless, I do think that that's, you know, kind of part of the challenge going forward for this team. I'm just not sure that some of that hasn't been happening in the last three to four years building up to last season. 25 straight losses for Indiana against Ohio State. That's dating back to the tie in 1990 and that interesting little stretch there where Indiana beat Ohio State in 87 and 88, lost by four in 89, tied in 1990. Um, and then since then, 25 straight wins for Ohio State. It's, it's one of Ohio State's more dominating uh, Big Ten rivalries. But yet there have been the close calls. There was a close call in 2015 where – 
at Indiana, you know, the Hoosiers are throwing a, a pass into the end zone on the last play of the game to try to tie it. There's the, the crazy comeback in 2012 that had Urban Meyer ripping his hair out on the sidelines. Ohio State hangs on 52-49. They've been competitive at times. Like the idea of that, Zach, the idea of what it would take for Indiana to beat a good Ohio State team, right? Because this is a, clearly a good Ohio State team. It, you have to you know, we talk a lot about the Ohio State losses um, to Iowa and Purdue in 2017 and 2018, and it's those middle-of-the-pack Big Ten teams. Maybe Ohio State let their guard down a little bit. Both those teams played out of their minds on those days and played really, really well, had their elite players step up. You know, we're talking about all this in the context of, of this 2020 schedule, um, and Indiana is scheduled to be in Ohio Stadium this year. Even thinking about something like that, is it just like crazy to you? Or is can you, with the way this Indiana team has been playing, with Tom Allen and that defense, with a quarterback like Michael Penix, and we'll get into him more in a little bit, but just are there things in place where Indiana plays its best game, Ohio State's down a little bit, it's been 25 years, sometimes, you know, eight-win teams beat 11-win teams every now and then. It just, you know, sometimes it happens. Is it fanciful to ponder that, or is that is there a perfect world where you could say, you know what, I can see this Indiana team peaking at the right time and coming into Ohio Stadium and giving the Buckeyes a heck of a game? You know, I mean, if you told me Indiana could be competitive in that game, I, I, I'd believe you. I think, it, you know, part of the trouble that it feels like you have annually if you don't cover Ohio State, forecasting Ohio State is they lose so much every year that you think, well, surely – They'll take a step back this year, and then what you what you remind yourself by about the start of October is that you know they, they just had three more of the same talented linebacker, defensive end, cornerback waiting in the wings, just not playing a lot last season because somebody ahead of them was so good. I, you know, I mean, listen, I I think I could see on your let, let's say Indiana's. I'm trying to think what what could they be like six and two going into that game. Yeah. Let's, let's say Indiana's clearly. Let's say Indiana has enjoyed the kind of start to the season that says, hey, this wasn't a, a flash in the pan last year. This is clearly a talented team. They're growing. They're progressing. There's a lot of promise here. Maybe they beat a, maybe they beat Michigan State for the first time in, in four years. Maybe they even beat upset Penn State. They're seven and one. They're ranked, all that. Um, you know, you, you still would be really hard pressed to see Indiana winning at Ohio State, I think. I just, it, it just seems, it seems really unlikely um, to me. Um, not that it could never happen, but I think I would always presume that if it was going to happen, it would happen in Bloomington. And I, I think that, you know, Indiana's kind of in this weird place with the, the Big Ten's unbalanced schedule because the years where they have five home games are also the years where they play Penn State and Michigan State at home and Ohio State and Michigan on the road. And so – not that ever – first of all, Indiana's only beaten Penn State once, you know, ever. And they've only beaten Michigan State, I think, twice in like the last 20 years or 25 years. So let's not act like those are gimme games. But those are certainly programs that Indiana, Michigan State in particular, you know, over the last two or three seasons can feel like it is approaching from a, a talent plus scheme plus development perspective. Ohio State and Michigan, it still feels a little bit sometimes like they're a little bit further away. Um, and, and if you ask me, 
you know, if, if, if you, if you sat here and told me, you said, listen, I've looked into the future. I can't tell you their final record, but Indiana's going to have a, and everything goes right kind of season. They're going to have a, you know, all, all coins come up heads and everything works out and everything looks good. Um, and they're going to beat one of Michigan or Ohio state. I, I would tell you with like 90% certainty it'd be Michigan because you look at what Michigan's lost and losing the quarterback and some other pieces, not that Michigan doesn't reload in some of those areas, but um, just not to the extent that Ohio state does. Now, could that be a more competitive game? Could that be one of those games we've seen Indiana play both home and away against Ohio state in the last two years where, you know, maybe Indiana's up three at halftime and is, is still, you know, within a score with, 10 minutes to go. Sure. All right, Zach. So one of the things that, that I will tell you that we have talked about as we've been doing this podcast five days a week and just going through every aspect of the Ohio state season, we did a ranking uh, of big 10 quarterbacks a couple weeks ago, uh, weeks ago. And we are fascinated with Michael Penix. I think in part because Ohio state didn't play him last year because he had a couple of those big games. He had a big game against Michigan state. Um, then he gets hurt. Ohio State gets Peyton Ramsey. It turns out, you know, Peyton Ramsey plays a bunch of the season. He's pretty good. Now he transferred to Northwestern. But Michael Penix is like this guy that you just saw from the outside. You saw some flashes in a couple games, and you thought, man, that guy looks like he might have something. And to me, that's the kind of thing that, again, if you're going to get over the top, if you're a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team and you're going to get over the top against a team like Ohio State, you know, like a really good defense and then a quarterback with upside seems like a really good formula to attempt something like that. But now I I perhaps think that maybe we're overrating Michael Penix here in Ohio State land because we just saw him in flashes. We didn't see him in person. And I just, you know, I'm double checking his, his game log and it's like, man, he really did not play that much last year. Where are you on Michael Penix? And I guess there's the what what you think might happen with him this season, you mentioned the health, but then there's like the, again, perfect scenario upside and maybe not even upside for 12 games in a regular season, but upside in a single game. How good this good can this guy be at his peak and, and what kind of year in general are you expecting from him? I mean, I, I, I count me among those that think he has all the tools to be genuinely one of the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Um, I think he's... He's got great arm strength. He's got great pocket presence and poise. Um, you know, he's, he's not maybe like some of those Iowa quarterbacks we've seen in the past that can push the ball downfield really well, but sometimes struggle. And I, I, just, I, mean, I don't know why I'm picking on Iowa here because I think you have quarterbacks like this all over the place. But, um, but I'm just thinking of those kind of big arm quarterbacks that can push the ball down the field but aren't always good with your short and intermediate throws. He can do that very well. You know, that Michigan State game you mentioned – he actually completed uh, 20 straight passes at one point in that game. And I think I went back and charted them something like 12 of the 20 didn't cross the line of scrimmage before they were caught. So they were all screens underneath passes, things like that. But they, even those were almost all positive because, you know, you know, any coach, any offensive coordinator will tell you as simple as those plays look, if that ball's not delivered to the right spot at exactly the right time, the screen breaks down. It, it's such a timing play. It's such an an important sort of element of that play that if you're not delivering that ball, even in what looks like a simple throw really accurately and at absolutely the exact right time, the whole play breaks down. Um, 
if you extrapolate like his, and this is of course imperfect science, but if you extrapolate his 8.7 yards per attempt over the 354 attempts Justin Fields gets, as an example, last year, um, Penix throws for uh, almost 3,100 yards. And so that's, you know, that, that's kind of, he's, he's third and he's effectively at that point, third in the conference in, uh, in yards per game, or excuse me, in total yards. If you give him Brian Lewerke's attempts and Lewerke led the conference in attempts last year in 436, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but he easily leads the conference again with that 8.7 yards per attempt number, which is very, very good. You know, the, the issue with Penix is just, can he stay healthy? He tore his ACL his true freshman season. That was just kind of one of those fluke plays. He was kind of sliding slash getting tackled and his, his leg rolled up underneath him. Um, that never really seemed to affect him last year. What he had really more last year was I think he was just a little small, frankly. And I think he was someone who, you know, Indiana doesn't run the quarterback by design a lot. Um, they certainly did it more with Peyton Ramsey than Michael Penix. And if you look at Ramsey's high school stats, he ran a lot in high school. And when you watched him run in college, he looked like a quarterback that knew how to run. And, and what I mean by that is he looked, knew, looked like a quarterback who knew how to slide when necessary, who knew how to deliver contact so that he didn't absorb the brunt of a blow, those different sorts of things. I can remember Paul Johnson, the old Georgia Tech coach, talking years ago about, you know, why he was amused that people always asked if he worried about his quarterbacks getting hit, but never asked if he worried about his running backs getting hit because running backs are taught how to take a hit and, and absorb that contact and not be really jarred by it. We said, well, you can teach quarterback the same thing. And I think you can see some of that in Peyton Ramsey that frankly, Michael Penix probably just doesn't have. I don't think he ran a lot in high school um, and he certainly hasn't run a ton in college. And so he just doesn't maybe have that sort of open field instinct of how and when to protect himself, when to take chances and when not to. But I also say some, you know, I also say too, he had a couple different, he kind of had some concussion symptoms at one point last season, then came back from that. Then he suffered a shoulder injury. And I say, you know, people, fans will say, well, it just doesn't seem like he he's going to hold up over the course of an entire season. And I say, well, you know, Peyton Ramsey was in a very similar position. He took the starting job, his redshirt freshman season, off of Richard Lego, played the middle portion of the season, won a couple of important games, including one at Virginia that at the time looked like it was going to set Indiana on course to go to a bowl game. And And then by the end of the year, his body was so beaten up that he couldn't throw a pass. So nobody was saying back then, well, maybe Peyton Ramsey just isn't physically, you know, capable of playing a full season. What they were saying was he needs to get bigger, like just about any other red shirt freshman does. And I think that there's every possibility that Michael Penix winds up in the same boat. Now, listen, maybe he does just prove to be a, a you know an injury prone player that can never quite realize his potential because he can't stay on the field long enough. But I think there's also every chance that he's just, he's just where almost every other red shirt freshman in the country is where he just needs to add bulk. He has done that. I mean, we've, we've just physically seen him or when we were able to see him in, in the winter, in a, you know, kind of the, the brief Indiana got, I think four spring practices in before everything got shut down. He was a physically larger quarterback, broader, stronger, all those different sorts of things. Indiana gets both of his tackles back next season, which I think is important. Um, they're going to flip them because Penix is a left-hander, so they're going to put kind of your more athletic, weak side rush guy uh, on the right as opposed to being on the left where he was last year. But um, if he stays healthy, I think he has – I mean, you know, again, I don't know if you project numbers, 
but I would expect Indiana to throw the ball a fair amount again this season. I mean, between them, Penix and Ramsey uh, attempted 460 passes last season. That would have also led the conference in pass attempts. But I, I think if he if he can stay healthy, I genuinely think you could be talking about maybe maybe not next season, but certainly by the end of his career, one of the best quarterbacks, you know, kind of of his of his class in the conference, because I think he's got the tools. I think he's got the makeup, the composure, the arm. I even think there's something to the idea that that left handers can sometimes throw people off because no matter how much you may train for it or think about it or study it, you're just so used to the ball being delivered right handed that in the moment when you're tired and it's late in the game and it's coming out funny, you just don't have the angle on the ball you think you're going to have. Um, but I just think it's it's all down to whether or not, you know, he can stay healthy and, and really build a rapport with a wide receiver group that's got some really good pieces coming back at the top end, but needs to kind of fill out depth after graduating two seniors last year. So the rest of that Indiana offense, you mentioned um, the tackles coming back. Uh, Wap Fillior's back, right? He is, yeah. So he'll be the third leading returning receiver um, in the Big Ten. Uh, How do you evaluate the rest of the skill guys? And and is the do you feel like the offensive line as a whole is going to be a strength? Um, And just well, you you said obviously Tom Allen's kind of defense first. We know there's been some coaching changes on the offensive side. Will Will Penix have a lot to work with? He should. Um, You know, I mean, you you mentioned Fillier and and. Yeah, and also brings back Ty Freifo. Well, I, forgive me, I was uh, distracted by a message from my editor when you were talking there, and I don't know if you mentioned him or not, but he was Indiana's second-leading receiver last season. It sounds at this point, too, like Indiana is going to have Peyton Hendershot, who was arrested in a domestic uh, violence incident in the offseason. Um, but, it, it uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to speculate too much. It does seem like he's going to be with the team this season. Of course, I, I would not be surprised to see some sort of suspension involved there. Um, but he was, you know, he set records last season for Indiana in terms of single season receiving yards by a tight end. I think receptions as well. I don't, again, I don't have, I should, I should always have the, the football media guide in front of me. I know. 52 for 622. That's pretty good. For and I, and I, and I think both of those are, are single season records at IU for a tight end. Um, I know the yards are, um, and then he's got he's going to have a stable a good stable of running backs. Stevie Scott is back. Samson James, who of course was a four star recruit, is committed to Ohio State before flipping to IU, um, who had a good freshman season, but I think just never Indiana did not run the ball a ton last year, and Stevie Scott was their obvious sort of number one running back. James was injured a little bit in the in the off season and into the preseason, so we just kind of never really carved out a big role for himself. He had Scott was injured for the, uh, the Purdue game and James had a huge game against Purdue 126, I think in a touchdown. So you're going to be really kind of set in that backfield again, three starters back along the offensive line. I think in all likelihood, both tackles and then moving a left guard over to center, which was his initial position and then figuring out those guard spots. The question of course will be how you fill in kind of those receiver spots behind Fillier and Freifogel. I would expect miles Marshall who's a redshirt sophomore to get a pretty extended look. He had actually a pretty good redshirt freshman season. He just didn't get a lot of snaps because Indiana had Freifogel, Fillior, and then two fifth-year seniors, Donovan Hale and Nick Westbrook, to play. There's a guy named David Ellis who was primarily a kickoff returner last season for Indiana but is a really capable backup for Fillier who I think 
I would not be surprised to see Indiana also put it running back. He's a really kind of that sort of explosive slot type player, but he's a little bit bigger than failure. So you could probably send him between the tackles just a little bit. And then from there, you know, you can talk about kind of, I mean, there's, there's probably three or four other candidates for kind of boundary positions. Jordan Jakes is a big body redshirt freshman, six, five from Maryland. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Deshaun Brown was a, a quarterback at, in Wisconsin that Indiana really liked, but because they were switching positions with him last season and he kind of got to camp late, they, they redshirted him. They really like his potential at wide receiver. And then they've got a kid named Rashawn Williams, who is their highest, highest rated recruit, a wide receiver out of Michigan who picked IU over Michigan State, Michigan, some other Big Ten offers that I think you'll probably see competing for early playing time. So the point is they've got the bodies there. And certainly they've got kind of the headliners there in terms of your top end production. It's just a question of number one, can you keep a lot of those guys healthy? Not least of them, Michael Penix, of course. And then number two, can you fill out depth in, in some key areas such that you're not overly reliant on maybe just two or three pass catchers that suddenly tend to make you a little bit more one dimensional offensively, even in the pass game. Uh, defense, you said a lot back, right? And they got a, they got a transfer, um, from Stanford. Is that right? The guy yeah. who's going to help out. So, I mean, you think, you think this is a pretty good big 10 defense coming back? I, I genuinely do. Um, I mean, this was a, a defense that, that took significant steps forward statistically from Kane Womack's first season as coordinator to, to last year as second. Um, you know, it's a defense. They've had to move a couple coaches around. They lost Mark Hagan, their line coach, to Texas in the offseason. They also moved their safeties coach to special teams coordinator, but he's still going to handle the Husky position, which is what Indiana calls that sort of hybrid safety linebacker spot. Um, but, I mean, you, you're talking about a defense where 10 of your 11 starters are returning, and in some respects – you could even really be talking about a defense where all 11 starters are returning. You know, Indiana graduated a, a very small number of impactful defensive players last season and players who may have started more games than they didn't, but really were very much in a rotation with younger players. Um, I think Indiana's linebacker group of Micah McFadden and Cam Jones, their top two stay healthy is, is really very good. Could take some really big steps forward this year. They're too deep all over the place in the secondary with three of genuinely the best corners. I've, I mean, the, at least put it this way, the best three-man cornerback group I've ever seen at Indiana with Reese Taylor, Jalen Williams, and Taiwan Mullen, who had an outstanding freshman season. They actually moved their most experienced corner back to free safety, um, and they moved one of their Huskies back to free safety for coverage reasons, which tells me that they're going to be – that they may be willing to play some – just straight up zero coverage this year, or maybe single high coverage, but a lot of man across the board get at the passer. That's probably the biggest thing. Indiana was very good limiting explosive run plays last season. Um, but the one thing, like I, the, the, the example I've come back to again and again in the offseason, when Indiana played Michigan, Indiana fans thought, oh, here's an obvious chance for an upset. It's our best season in years. Michigan's stuck between the Michigan State game and the Ohio State game. The weather was terrible. You know, here's 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 a here's our opportunity. And Michigan just dominated the line of scrimmage both ways. Indiana couldn't get to Shea Patterson without rushing six, maybe even seven. Indiana could get to Peyton Ramsey with four, and that was the game. If that if that defense is going to take a big step forward from last year, it's going to come in being able to get to the get to the quarterback more consistently. Indiana has not had a double 
digit sack performer this season, uh, this decade. It hasn't had one, I think, since 2008. And it's not like you just, it's not like having a guy who gets 11 sacks makes your defense great. But it, to me, it is indicative of a broader problem Indiana has had in being the sort of defense that just consistently frustrates and terrorizes quarterbacks. I think they've got all the pieces in the back seven to take advantage if they can get to the quarterback more often of mistakes, bad throws, fumbles, whatever. Um, they've just got to, and, they, and they've got a defensive line group that's as deep as I've ever known it, certainly at the tackle spots in particular. Um, but they've, if they can find a way to get to the quarterback, that feels like kind of the last step. And I'm not saying that that alone will make them the 85 bears, but I think it will, it will make them, one of the best of the rest defenses in the league. You know, there's always a couple, you know, this is probably even better than I do, Doug. There's always a couple defenses in the league that are just stifling. You know, they only allow like 250 yards a game, you know, 98 rushing yards a game. They just, they shut almost everyone down. I don't think Indiana is that, but I think Indiana, it can be in the group right behind that where most days you just have a lot of trouble moving the ball. You deal with a lot of turnovers. They force you to make a lot of mistakes, a lot of three and outs, you feel like you have to capitalize anytime you get momentum in a drive because they may not let you have that again for three more series. I think that's the kind of defense this team can put on the field. It's just going to be a question of how this group collectively takes steps forward because this is also a group of, of guys that by and large have been playing together a lot. I mean, you mentioned Javon Swan, the Stanford transfer. He's going to be one of the few new faces, genuinely new faces I would expect to see in here. They brought in a couple of, uh, guys on defense that are the kinds of talents they don't normally get out of, out of high school, um, like a three technique from Georgia named Demar J. Lewis. And yet I don't know if we're going to see a ton of them this year because they've got at least two, three techniques that have already proven themselves that are already really, really good that are probably going to make it hard for him to get too much playing time. So um, this has the potential to be far and away the best IU defense I've seen. Um, certainly the best defense since Allen's first season as head coach when he was still running the defense in 2017. Um, but I think that it's, it's just going to be a question of how this group takes a collective step forward, which is, is, is so hard to gauge kind of across the sport here because, um, you're dealing with, you know, none of these guys have gotten what would have been a normal off season with their coaches, with their strength staffs, whatever. And maybe that benefits Indiana because they have so much experience returning that you're not going to have to spend a lot of time relearning things. And there's already going to be like a lot of sort of built-in instinctive stuff, but it, it is just hard to forecast exactly what the impact of all this time off has been, even for a program that maybe has so much back from last season. A few more before we let you get out of here, Zach, and we appreciate your time. Um, in thinking about, again, this specifically this Ohio State game, and you kind of mentioned this, but I just want to zero in on it quickly. Do you just – what percent chance does Indiana have of – what higher percent chance of a huge upset do they have when they're at home as opposed to when they are on the road? You know this team very well. How much better of a team are they when they're in Bloomington as opposed to when they're out in the world? Because I think there's various degrees of home field advantages for teams. I think there's various ways – that teams handle the road. Some teams like you go on the road, you come together, it's you against the world. I think sometimes some teams thrive on that. But yet when we look at, again, Ohio State, their upsets in the past couple of years, it was at Iowa, it was at Purdue. Um, you mentioned you just think there's a much bigger chance 
Well, you know, you said I think if Ohio State, if Indiana is going to have an upset like that, it's going to be in Bloomington. How much bigger of a shot do they have at a team when they're at home as opposed to when they're on the road? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I could put a, a number on it. I mean, it, it does feel um, – I mean, it's it just every time I've seen Indiana really flirt with that, particularly with Ohio State. You know, you mentioned the 52-49. There was the game in 2015 that almost went to overtime, although I think Kevin Wilson said if, if Indiana had managed to score on that that drive at the end of the game, uh, he probably would have gone for two. Um, it, you know, it, it just feels like – because the the thing about Ohio State, the Ohio State game is – and the, the sort of grim joke in Indiana is that's when they always take a picture of Memorial Stadium, you know, the aerial view, because it's always full. And obviously a lot of those people are Ohio State fans, but from, you know, 3,000 feet in the air, it's all just red. Um, but I think that that still sort of lends itself even then to kind of a, a better atmosphere for IU because it, it gets their fans engaged. and if Indiana can be competitive kind of, you know, maybe through the first part of the game, listen, I mean, Ohio state is the class of the conference. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on an Ohio state podcast. Like they just are, just look at, look at history. They just are. And so if you, you know, you, you, on the one hand, you're probably never going to expect less if you're an Indiana fan than when you play Ohio state. But I think you're also never going to be more excited for the possibility of an upset. If it seems like it's on the table, if that makes sense, other than I guess maybe a situation where you were playing, you know, the rare situation where you're playing a really high ranked Purdue team. Um, I, I also just think that at the end of the day, when you talk about home field advantage, when you talk about the, the comforts of your own locker room, your own, weight room, your, your own everything. You know, I just, I just don't, I would probably say there's a five to six times better chance that I'd, I'd see Indiana beat Ohio state at home than I ever would see Indiana win at, at Ohio stadium. And it's not like it's never happened. I mean, you know, I, I think back to uh, 2007 when it, does Illinois beat Ohio state at Ohio state that season on their way to the Rose bowl. I, yes. I think, I think just, they did just Williams in, in yeah. Ohio stadium. Yep. Yeah. So it's not like it's never happened, but I think you're even right to point out Purdue is on the road. Iowa's on the road. It's just, I think that there's, there's something you lose as an underdog when you're going into the other team's home stadium. Um, I just, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that without, I guess, I guess what I would say is it's hard for me to imagine that without seeing Indiana beat Ohio state at home first. Now, Let's say, let's just, let's, let's, let's live, you know, in, fa- in fantasy football world five years into the future. This, this Indiana's kind of upward trajectory has continued to the point that they win 10 games in 2020 and they win nine more games in 2021 and they're recruiting better and all these different things. And they beat Ohio State at home in 2021 and then they're top 15 in the country when they go to Ohio Stadium in 2022. Yeah. I mean, I guess then I could believe it, but that would also be because I had the confirming evidence of, of having already seen it happen once in Bloomington. Um, I mean, to, you know, you, you, you mentioned it kind of at the top there, Indiana I was, I was six months old the last time Indiana beat Ohio state. So um, it, it's, it's very much kind of one of those, like you can't buy into evidence of things unseen sort of situations. We get it, Zach, you're younger than me. We get it. I was 15. Okay. Does that make you feel better that now? I'm well, I have a two year old, so I feel, I feel 50 most of the time. <laughs> All 
All right, last one, and I, I want to uh, – I think I asked you about this, like, last time I talked to you, but it just remains something I think Ohio State fans are curious about. I'm reading a tweet that you sent out on May 4th that I just sort of randomly just stumbled across. Whatever your feelings about how it ended with Kevin Wilson, when it came to how a serious program is run, how you recruit, how you staff, how you sell yourself, where you put your resources, Wilson taught Indiana what that looked like. We are now approaching four years since the end of uh, Kevin Wilson's tenure as Indiana's head coach in December of 2016. We know the stories that you wrote about his uh, treatment of players at the end. Um, do you think Kevin Wilson will be a head coach again? I th I'm almost sure I've asked you about this before, but it's been a year, at least then, since we talked about it. You know, how, is it something that you think just with what you wrote about, what you knew of, of you to understand that story and what happened in Indiana better than anybody, do you believe that another program will decide to hire Kevin Wilson as a head coach at some point? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think so. Um, I mean, he seemed like he was a pretty strong candidate for the Colorado State job at one point last year. And, um, you know, listen, I mean, as I said, because you mentioned the stories I wrote, I'm, I'm guessing I'm probably not Kevin's favorite person in the Big Ten press corps. Um, but it, it there's an undeniable, I mean, this is a guy who, Played for a national championship, a guy who took North, helped Northwestern get to a Rose Bowl, um, a guy who saw it at the highest level with, um, you know, with Oklahoma, even beyond just that season with, with Sam Bradford. And, you know, w when I sent that tweet, you know, kind of what I was, what I, I forget exactly the context of how it came up, and I've been looking for it trying to, because I remember seeing the tweet, I just don't remember what prompted me to send it. Um, okay. It's uh, you're you were responding to somebody who was just sort of saying, um, I love Kevin Wilson, a, a, a Twitter follower who said, I love yeah. the way Kevin Wilson was kind of a tough guy and sort of Tom Allen has continued that in some ways. Yeah, no. And I, I mean, listen, I think when you talk about those, you know, kind of those stories of player mistreatment, I think any athletic director who'd, who'd want to consider Kevin for a job would be within his or her right to, to, you know, sort of build in assurances to say, listen, there's a difference between tough and, and there's a line that, that t even toughness shouldn't cross. And, and we're going to make sure that doesn't happen. But, um, you know, when I think back to what Kevin did at Indiana, I mean, it just, again, and, and I don't, this is going to sound more critical probably of Bill Lynch than I, I want for it to, but like um, this place just did some things very small time you know, over the course of the 2000s in the way that it recruited, um, in the players that it targeted, in the way that it developed them in, you know, it's, it's, you know, sort of a rigid red shirt structure that sometimes made it hard for even very, very talented, deserving freshmen to get on the field. And obviously a lot of that too, to, to be fair to, to Bill and, you know, Terry Hepner before him and, and maybe even like a Jerry DiNardo, Cam Cameron before him, Kevin inherited a, a gleaming new weight room that was kind of the, you know, the, the front end of a sweeping renovation of all of IU's athletic facilities over the course of about 10 years that culminated in part with closing in the South End Zone last season and completely renovating Indiana's locker room area to make it, you know, hyper modern and much more of kind of a player friendly lounge area and those sorts of things. Um, but 
you know, just in, in coming in and telling people, listen, this is what Big Ten football looks like. This is how you recruit. This is how you develop. This is how you spend money. This is how you schedule. This is how you act. This is how you play. This is how you win. And you're not doing any of that. Like, I think sometimes Kevin rubbed people a little bit raw in his early years because he was very blunt. But I think he at times also felt like he needed to be blunt because he was just basically saying to people, you have no idea how how wrong you're doing this, essentially. Um, and I don't think he was even necessarily just trying to make Indiana into diet Oklahoma. I think he was also looking at Indiana and saying, well, I wanted Miami of Ohio as, a, as an assistant. I wanted Northwestern as an assistant. I know what it looks like to win at a place like this. And you're not doing that. And I think that, that again, whatever, however it ended with Kevin, whatever fans thought of Kevin and, and he could be, you know, he could be polarizing. Like I said, even beyond the stuff that, you know, kind of the, the, the player treatment stuff, you know, there were people that, that didn't like kind of as the gruff demeanor. I think some of the people that, that loved him for that, there were just as many people that, that didn't appreciate him for that. Um, but I do think that, you know, kind of through his tenure, Kevin made this place grow up in a lot of ways. And I don't think I'm confident in saying that Tom Allen, you know, I don't know if I could tell you if Kevin Wilson has the same success in the last three seasons Tom Allen's had. Um, but I'm confident Tom Allen doesn't have that success without inheriting the program from Kevin and all of Kevin did. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was again, to be frank uh, or to be honest. I just, I think it'll, I just think it'll be, it'll need to be the right fit because I think it's, it's also, you you have to know, you know, with Kevin, you're getting a hyper offensive coach. You're getting somebody who's going to score a ton of points and is, is going to pour a lot of time and energy into that offense. And that's not to say Kevin never cared about defense. He tried a lot of things to fix his defense at Indiana before he finally got a hold of, of Tom Allen, who of course, you know, made a very big difference even just in his one year as defensive coordinator. But Kevin's an offensive guy and, and you need to, you know, you kind of need to be prepared for that. I know for years it seemed like everybody wanted to link him to the East Carolina job because they sort of looked at it and said, well, he's from Carolina. You know, that place just loves big offenses and big points and big numbers on the scoreboard. Um, you know, a, a place like that where culturally that kind of system really fits. And when I say system, I don't mean his offense. I mean like the way his teams win. I think that it's going to have to be a place like that that is comfortable saying, hey, we're going to win games 53 to 35 sometimes. We're going to win games, you know, 45 to, to 35. Um, but if it's as long as it's the right fit in that way, I think he can absolutely be a head coach again. Zach Osterman, love your work. Thanks for your time. Uh, hopefully we will see you uh, for this Ohio State-Indiana game and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, my friend. Absolutely. You too, sir. Thanks for having me on. And thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Zach Osterman for his time. Uh, Friday, Michigan Talk. Mark it down Monday coming next week. Lots of good stuff ahead. Position group previews starting, as always. Thanks for lending us your ears. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>